Give me the green light. Give me just one night. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go right now. I'm ready to go. Welcome, everybody, to episode 66 of the Greenlight Podcast. It's POC and Ephraim back for uh, what will be a packed episode. Uh, we start – let's get to it. We start in Brooklyn. Um, I can't believe we finally leave Brooklyn uh, after years of wanting a awesome product or season tickets to buy. And we leave, and James Harden, Kevin Durant, and Kyrie Irving are all on the same team. Well, maybe Kyrie Irving's on the same maybe. team. We have no idea. Um, I don't know, man. I, I'm just going to go out and just say I, I can't believe the Brooklyn made this trade. Uh, they obviously are hedging all of their bets for the next seven years. Yeah. Um, I, I hate that they gave up Jared Allen. Allen was out playing DeAndre Jordan. Yeah. Uh, 22 years old. I mean, somehow Jared Allen seems like he's 40, but he's 22. Yeah. Um, they gave up all of their picks. Uh, Karis LeVert. Uh, you know, look, man, I, I'm not a fan of it at all. Um, I'll leave it I've, gone, I've gone back and forth. And and I was initially, when I saw the haul, and I still think it's, it's a ton to give up. But I think what I had, if I, if I was a Brooklyn fan and I had to put my mindset into it, your window to win a championship there you go, is probably is, is two, maybe three years. They all have a player option after that second, after next season. So, Fair point, fair point. And you potentially could not have – that window could potentially close, and who knows when that, that comes back. So, for them to put all their chips on the table, I get it. I, okay, we're, right now we have to win all, all this right now. My issue is, like, were they good enough already? Potentially, yes. Like, I, what honestly, and what I, I think, especially when you look at what, what came from the trade, is that – I, I personally, what I, what I think might have made it better if they were going to trade Karis LeVert is hold on to everything else and then just trade Karis LeVert for um, Victor Oladipo straight up. And then if, if you want, and I'm not that I think there's that much of a job, but makes you marginally better. And I think part of, I don't know if part of it's hedging with Kyrie, like where his headspace is, like they want to make sure they have two superstars there at all times, whatever it may be. Um, I think, yeah, regardless, I mean, if they walk, they walk. You are giving up those those picks. But if you're going all in and all in, and there's no guarantee they're going to be there after two two years, I you got to, me, I guess, live with it. To me, this makes me very nervous about the future of Kyrie Irving and the Nets because, look, man, like to get three – well, not three. I don't, I don't really – classify Durant as like a ball like I know he I know he needs the ball but I don't really classify him in that same way like like he can do more without it he can score yeah. without the ball whereas like Kyrie and Harden as we know is like they they're ball dominant. yeah yeah they're ball dominant so like to go get another one of those dudes I just don't know how much it makes sense and then like you look at the rest of the roster and you're like damn I don't like look we, we've seen in the NBA that a big three and a mediocre five other players can get it done you know, if you, I don't know. I don't know if the Nets have it. I mean. Yeah. My, my one, I'd say devil's advocate argument to that, that no one ever brings up. And I think it's a weird thing is like, no one ever questions like team USA. Like when team USA puts like all these guys together and it's like, how do they make it work? They all sacrifice. Now, granted, that's only for like one tournament in like a month or yeah, so. Yeah. Which is obviously. It's a different, different. mindset too. But I, it's interesting because you saw – I think Brooklyn was, like, posting highlights of, like, the three of them, like, playing together, like, doing, like, a three-man weave. And it's, like, they guys are proven they can play together. We've had, obviously, every year or every four years, we have the most dominant U.S. national team because we have the best players literally from spot one to spot 12. So, I don't think it's – I don't think that it's completely out of the question that they can play together. Um, I think the biggest question that to be raised is – was it necessary given all that you had to give up, given how good, like, were you already, how much more of a, of a contender does this actually make? And I think it's marginal, but I, I still personally, 
Um, I would put my money on them to win the East. I, I like. I, I know it's a crazy, right. it's a crazy move. Are you doing that? Are you doing that before you? I was gonna say, are you doing that before you know about Kyrie? I do, and and I, but I, I, my biggest worry is defensively. Like you said the biggest loss is Jared Allen, hands down. Like they're they're po and 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 I'm not. I, I'm looking way far ahead, but like who's gonna guard AD, and especially who's gonna guard when they go bit when they put Gasol and AD out there. And it's like, how is that necessarily gonna work? I don't know. Um, but I, I personally, I like them as a team. I think the way they're spaced and they they do. I love actually some of their bench pieces. Um, some of their bench pieces are solid uh, compared to other teams that have just thrown like aging vets that want to get a ring uh, to it. Um, but especially if they still had Spencer Dinwiddie, it sucks that he had to go out. But I, I I'm, I'm hopeful, but I'm not saying by any means it, it could either go really, really well or it could completely implode. Well, here, here's what we know. Joe Harris is about to have the best year of his entire life. Oh, yeah. Because that dude is just going to sit there. Yeah, I know. But now, I mean, he could average he could average 20 points a game. Easy. Easy. Just sitting shoots. there. Just catch and shoot. Catch and, yeah. and it's interesting. I saw something today. I think it was The Athletic that said the three players they said were completely off the table in all trade talks were Kyrie, Kevin Durant, and Joe Harris. And obviously, they did just they did. re-sign him. But, like, it shows you how valuable, like, a 3 and D – like and, and honestly, one of the best three-point shooters in the league for the past yeah. like three, four years really is. Um, it doesn't. I think one other thing that makes me a little nervous too, and I'm not saying he can't do it. I'm just saying it's a lot. Like I think Durant is now like your best defender. So now Durant yeah. has to guard Tatum. He's got to guard Butler. No, I agree. Uh, who else? Who else in the East that I'm forgetting? Like he's got to guard Simmons. Uh, like, he's got to guard everybody. Giannis is the biggest. Giannis, one. Giannis, Giannis, is, Giannis. Is, that's a taxing like physical matchup. And it's the same with like an yeah. AD or anything like that. That's what worries me the most. And I do think, and that's why, but I'm going to leave it up to him. I think there's going to be buyout guys. I think there's going to be like, they don't obviously don't have a ton of room to work with in terms of cap space. Uh, but like right now, I, I do think you'll get maybe some, maybe an Andre Drummond gets bought out or you get someone at the end of, mm-hmm. at the trade that, Teams always find a way to finesse and kind of get that piece. Like if they could get like one of the Morris twins or something like that to like come in and be like defensively focused and guard like that type of a player, that's a huge yeah. asset. But like I said, they've unloaded basically all of their assets. So I know, I know they don't really have much else to give up. Um, all right. Well, listen, man, we're, I mean, we're going to see, um, you know, Harden, I, I will say this. Harden doing a triple, having a triple double on his debut is insane. I think I read the stat correctly that it's the first time ever a player had a triple double in their debut. I don't 30, know. If yeah, that's correct. it was a 30, 30 point triple double, I believe. Anytime a player a thirty point triple double in their debut with a new team, which, like, and then but but you guys, what's getting lost about all this as well is that KD put up forty two while he did that. I know. And, 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 and like, listen, it, it was the magic. I get it. I mean, and the magic aren't, aren't terrible. Even though they lost today into the, to the Knicks, but how, it, what happened? Yeah. We bring Kyrie in and what my, I'm most interested in is just how they, because what they were doing before um, they with, at least with Katie and Kyrie, when the, the brief times they were on the floor is they were always playing together. They weren't mixing like one of one guy leads, one guy leads. I'm just really interested in how these rotations grow over the season, how they mix match and mix and match. Is it Katie and Kyrie while Harden takes a rest, then Harden and Katie while Kyrie takes a rest, and then how how do they mesh that together? Um, because if you can have two of those on the floor at all times, it I mean it really is like you're 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 stacking the deck. Um, but it, it'll be it'll remain to be, especially I mean I think. Um, Chios has actually been really good. You look at, I mean, Joe, obviously Joe Harris has been good. Jeff Green, I think, can be good. He's going to have to play a lot. He's going to have to play a ton. But And then Landry Shamit was my favorite pickup, really, almost a low-key kind of under the radar before the season. But um, it's a lot. You're throwing on Steve Nash, first-year head coach, and he's got D'Antoni around him. But I'm glad it did happen much earlier in the season like this so they can kind of figure things out. Um, yeah. Hopefully, yeah, and, and – I wish Kyrie was playing tonight, but it'll be interesting to see them play against the Bucs and kind of a little bit of a preview with just the two of them. Yeah, no doubt. And listen, man, Harden is still big, all right? Everybody knows if you put on LBs, you got to wear black, man. Black makes you smaller. It makes you look slimmer, all right? So he's still big, but listen, he's still going to give you buckets. It hasn't listed – basketball reference hasn't listed 6'5", 220, 
What would you say his actual? What would you estimate his actual? Uh, At least two thirty-five, probably two forty. Yeah, and I, he's so quick. But, still, the, but the thing that's crazy is he was he in Houston early this season. I mean, he was still just like whenever he could go get forty whenever he wants, even out of shape, which just shows how absolutely talented he is. Um, yeah. But it'll be it'll be fun to see. It sucks that like. It really sucks that there are no fans, it, like, at least in Brooklyn. Like, I, know. I saw the owner of the Nets tweeted something like, um, like, welcome or something. He tweeted something when they, like, he was hyped. And it's really interesting because he's a first-year owner. He's in the first year of ownership, and you're pouring everything into it, giving up all your future assets at a time where you can't even capitalize on it is – I know. Could you – I mean, Barclays would be sold out. It really would. And that this is this is what would be the interesting part because everyone said you could go to any Nets game and says you get in 15, 20 bucks most of the time, unless they're playing like Warriors or Lakers, something like that. And but always the Knicks, no matter how bad, how good they are, you're looking no. 80, 100 bucks. This is say. now it's like, okay, what is the real difference of the mar- three top five, top ten players in the league, marquee players? And does does it even though it's one borough over, it's in Barclays? How does that stack up and compare? Um, yeah. It would would have been really interesting to see, and I hope that um, they all, I mean, next year, hopefully, we're back to uh, some sort of normalcy, and it'll, it'll be there. But it, it really does, especially if you're a Nets fan, and you especially the ones that have been diehards um, and have gone through the times where like Joe Harris was the best player on the team, and it was like Brooke, like after in draft purgatory when they had no picks. And you yep. get to this, how, how, and not to knock on wood, I'm saying it's how awful would it be? It's like you go through all that as a fan, the one good window, you don't actually get to see witness in person, and then you go through more draft purgatory. That would be awful. So I hope they can capitalize on it personally. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Hey, hoop heads, we all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com. Spelled A-R-Y-S-E and use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. Um, all right, well, let's uh, let's run through the COVID uh, protocol updates. Georgetown paused. Nebraska, Hoiberg got it, paused. Iowa State paused. Um, I think that's everybody I saw. Is there anybody else paused? Um, I know. Well, Virginia was supposed to play NC State on Wednesday. Game canceled because NC State had another positive. Okay, uh, that's right. Forgot about that. There are a few others, um, smaller schools. that I don't know if it's a full pause, but at least they're moving games and things like that. I know on the women's side, there seems to be more and more teams that are completely ending their season. I know Virginia women's basketball has shut it. Obviously, we talked about Duke women's basketball. Virginia yep. women hadn't played. They announced last week they're shutting it down completely. They hadn't played since I believe it was like December twelfth, December thirteenth. Just kept. Happening. I wonder, like, what? I wonder what made them do it now. You know, I don't know, and I do think part like maybe winning and losing does play a factor in that because they weren't looking very good. But then they just it was like as soon as they would get one, then they just one and the contact tracing it just kept piling on. Um, yeah. and I think there's it's it's not worth it at this point, but. Um, yeah, and especially I think after Duke, Duke was kind of that first domino, and I think it made it a little bit more acceptable to do that. Um, I don't think we'll see. I know Chicago State did that in men's. I don't think anyone's going to completely throw in the towel on the men's side, but yeah, it's definitely not going away. I mean, they're going to keep being pauses and, and more and more pauses. What's going to be interesting, though, is just as you get as we get to the end of the season, um, how this all – I mean, how, how we're going to be able to evaluate teams and then also if – Say, what if Gonzaga had to pause going into the NCAA tournament? You obviously – it's a bubble. It's a bubble situation. If you're not letting – if they have positive tests, it's just – and it's contact tracing, you can't let them into a bubble. And and then you just say, okay, and, and say they're undefeated that time. We just – sorry, you can't be part of it. That's that's what I think the scary – not obviously health is the actual scariest part, but from a basketball standpoint, 
um, are we going to be able to see everybody at the end of the season that deserves to be there? Yeah. Yeah. We have no idea. It's going to be a shit show. I'm sure. Um, well, I actually had, I had, so thankful. That would be horrendous. Um, I literally had typed out on here and this kind of makes me smile because everybody who listens knows I'm not a a huge UConn guy. I had typed out UConn is back in a big way, second in the big E seven and one. And then they blow it today (laughs) at 20 minutes ago to St. John's St. John's with a huge road win. Um, but I, I still do want to talk about UConn. I mean, you know, they, I think they're ranked 23rd. They lost book night, which is huge. Or like book no, night. I know. That's... Yeah, that's brutal. It's brutal. But they were, they were kind of – they got up 9 or 10 against St. John with about like – I watched the whole game today. With about like seven minutes to go, and you kind of are like, all right, you know, they should be able to close it out. Um, obviously not able to do it. But listen, there's, they guard, man. Like Hurley's got them guarding. They're 17th yeah. in Ken Palm. Like if I can say anything about UConn, it's like their defense is yeah. back. And I think everyone was happy with the hire when it happened. I think he's proving yeah. that. I mean, it was from a recruiting standpoint, one, and he brought in good guys around him. I know Kamani was a huge pickup to be able to get, like, local New York guys too. Yeah. The recruiting was the first step. And then it's like you just saw there's a toughness and there's just, like, a, a lot I've been lacking there. It's perfect that it coincides with them going back to the Big East as well. I think if they were playing in the um, – uh, where were they before this? Um, if they're what, what, um, oh, American, the American, they're yeah, American. American. I think they'd just be running through everybody. Um, it's, it is, it's, it's, it's perfect now that they're in the Big East because, um, I mean, their only loss out before, uh, for today was a 76 74 overtime loss to Creighton. And they beat, yeah. Now they haven't played the top of the top. They, I mean, their best win is definitely USC on a neutral court. But they've got away – they had three straightaway wins at Marquette, at Butler, and at DePaul. And yeah, I don't care how bad Butler is or whatever. Like, you win 72-60 to 60 on the road at Hinkle. Like, that's yeah. impressive. It's very impressive. Very impressive. They, they got to bounce uh, back I, at Creighton, which is that's, – that's really tough spot, um, especially Creighton coming off a loss this weekend too. Um, do we know how, how long Boot Night's out for? I, I don't exactly – it was elbow surgery. So – it says like um, it, it just says indefinitely, but I don't I don't know exactly. Um, I I don't know. Hurley says he's handled it well. He's been very antsy because he wants to play, but he's in his rehab now. He's got a couple of weeks that he's got to rehab that injury. So yeah, okay, yeah. I mean, that's I don't. Put, I mean, if I'm them, like I'm I'm not putting. You've got who? Let's see who they've got coming up. Besides, obviously they get, they have to go to they go to Creighton, they have Butler at home at St. John's. I think if you could potentially get him back, they play on February 6th, they play Seton Hall at home and they go at Xavier, Providence at home, and then at Villanova. If you can get him in one of those games, like before you go into your last stretch of like five or six games, that's better. But Ken yeah. has them projected to win every single game except uh, at, at Creighton and at Villanova. So, and that's obviously counting that Book Knight would be playing. But um, right now they're sitting 21st in Ken Offensive re- – they're fourth in the country in offensive rebound percentage at 39.5%. So – Yeah, man, they're balling. They're balling. Which is ironic because they're they, – I mean, they're, they're, a deep, they're a good shoot three-point shooting team, but their one offensive struggle is they're – they shoot 47.5% from two, which is good for 241st in the country. So, hmm. I mean, that's obviously leading to more offensive rebounds, but if they can clean that up and get even better offensively, they're 39th overall offensively, 17th defensively. Um, yeah, they're not, they're in a nice spot. Just gotta get healthy. Yeah, no doubt. Um, all right, so let's talk about you and I have talked about um, kind of thinking. You know what what does home court advantage look like this year? And actually, our our guy Kevin Pauga um, wasn't that me, you, and Taylor who wanted to do the manager games like years ago. Yeah. And Kevin stole it. Yeah, shout out to Kev. Um, anyway uh whole okay home team winning percentage we kept thinking like okay well how's it going to affect home games like our team's still going to win at home what's that percentage going to look like and and we'll i mean we're going to like tweet it out and put it on instagram and all that stuff but it's an interesting dynamic really the only only league that has a drastic difference in terms of winning at home is the big 12 and it's actually kind of insane so in 1819 and 1920 the big 12 as all home home games won the same exact percentage, 64.4%. They went 58 and 32 as a league at home. This year, 
home teams are winning 37% of their games, 11 and 18. Everyone else is kind of similar. They're in the same boat. Not, not, nothing like too drastic in terms of winning at home. SEC went from 65 to 52. But again, like the subset of games is still pretty small. So we need to see yeah. what this looks like at the, end of the, at the end of the year. But it's interesting, man. Like we've talked about it a lot. Like, okay, well, you know, playing at Cameron like isn't really playing anywhere. It's a, it's a gym, no. you know. And, I, and right now it's a high school gym. So like what yeah. is it? Does it do anything for you? Um, and it doesn't seem like too much has changed, which is, I mean, I don't know if that's yeah. surprising or not. I, I don't know either, because I think the one thing that still is remaining constant is it's a different routine playing on the road, obviously, than playing at home. And I think yeah. you get with the travel aspect, with the academic side, with waking up and going to shoot around and then black, maybe your focus isn't there. I think that is still consistent, but the focus side of, yeah, having to focus through a crowd is not, um, I think that, yeah, shooting on different as, as petty or not as petty, but as small as it may seem, um, shooting on different rims, shooting with different balls than maybe you're used to, that's still the same. Um, and maybe those are bigger factors than just the noise, like the sheer noise. But um, it is interesting to see just, um, I mean, the fact, I mean, the ACC, it is a really weird year too. I think part of that's maybe the pair in the ACC at least, reason why the winning percentage is actually up is just the parity. There's not really any dominant teams, whereas the Big 12, it's down, and you could say there are some really dominant teams in the Big 12. Um, yeah. But it, it, it's, it'll be interesting to see how these end up by the end of the season. Um, yeah. No doubt. But it, I, I don't know. I, I, I do think – I mean, think about your you – just take Providence, your two years of Providence, for example. Did there, Were there times that you thought that truly, truly – in a way, fans actually change the game? Um, probably not too many times the fans change it. I'll, I would just say that, like, everyone's more confident at home. You know what um, I mean? Everybody's more confident at home. Like, yeah. sometimes you go on a road trip, especially if it's like – I mean, yeah, the first two years of Providence was a tough example, obviously, because he's trying to build something. But, like, you know, if you're on the road, like – at rank number 17 Marquette and you're walking in as like a, you know, whatever Providence team, that's a tough mindset. Whereas like at home, everyone's just like, Hey, we could sneak one. We could sneak one. We could sneak yeah. one. We got them at home. So there's definitely something to that. And I will say like, listen, there's nothing like going on a run at home oh. and the crowd gets behind you and they got to call a timeout. Like that's real. Momentum is definitely yeah. very real and vice versa. Right. Like if yeah, you're, if you're on the road yeah. and, and you shut up the fans, like that's real, you can feel yeah. the tension. So, you know, at the end of the day, look, I mean, the proof is in the pudding. It doesn't seem like it's changing all that much besides like the big 12 right now. But um, again, you know, we got the rest of the year to see, I'm sure the numbers will average out to what they usually are, but yeah, just an interesting thing that you and I have talked about a ton. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. All right, man, this is sad, obviously, for me. I mean, Virginia's 5-0, and so you're, you're cruising. But this is an insane stat. First time since 1961 that Duke, UNC, and Kentucky are not ranked. And I believe it's the first time since 1982, which Michael Jordan was at, in, at UNC. First time since 1982 that Duke and UNC has not been ranked. So we, you know, I mean, the, the, this is like a running joke amongst corporate America, but we're in unprecedented times, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, how many oh, times have you right. heard that over the last nine months? Um, it's insane, man. And and honestly, like Duke's got not too many opportunities. Like I actually don't think UNC, like, like to me, and I, you know, feel free to call out the bias, but like no. Duke is better than North Carolina to me. I would agree and, with that. I've watched North Carolina probably more than Duke. I've never really been impressed with them. I think no. maybe I, I'm trying to look at UNC's resume. I think their best win was, was either the, the Stanford game on early, early in the season, maybe right. like you could say Miami at, on the road or obviously Syracuse at home. I guess Syracuse at home just because they can't shoot, but like. Well, neither I, of them have good wit. Like I'm not, I'm not arguing. Shoot. Like the only thing that bails North Carolina out is they're the best offensive rebounding team in the country. And they get more opportunities. They have the bigs to do it, but they can't shoot. And Duke, at least, like the – No, they, they don't – I'm not arguing the resume. They though. have no good wins. Like, no. not because they played. And this week for me – and you, you speak to this. I think this week is the biggest week. Personally, and, and I can say, like, obviously, they still have 
over a dozen games left. Personally, I think this is Duke's biggest week of the season. Because I think so, too. They go at Pittsburgh, and it sets the tone for the rest of the way, and I think it really is a big They play at Pittsburgh, who, ironically, Pittsburgh is playing much, much better as of late. Yeah, uh, they just got um, – They beat Syracuse back-to-back. Like, they've only played twice in, like, ten days. But they've beaten – they're 3-1 and one in the ACC. They beat Miami on the road. They lost to Louisville, um, and then they beat Syracuse twice um, by three on the road and then by 20 at home. They put up 96 against Syracuse. So – no slouch, and it's against Capel, and, and you've got that dynamic. And then you got to go to Louisville, where they historically – those are always been battles. I mean, that, I, the one that comes to mind recently is the Zion, the comeback of how yeah. – that was, that was a crazy. But, I mean, Louisville is coming off a loss as well um, at Miami, but they're 9-2, and 4-1 and one in the ACC. And so, I, I think if you go 2-0, and oh, you feel really, really good in those two games. If you go 1-1, one and one, it's like, okay, I'm still a little uneasy. But if you go 0-2 oh and, and Duke's sitting at 5-5 five and five overall and 3-3 three and three in the conference um, with arguably – yeah. yeah. You, you said they had a dozen games left. So, if they go 0-2, oh I mean, they're going to have to go 8-2 and two in their last games to have a shot. 7, 8, 9, 10. Well, yeah, they actually have 12 games. They have 14 games left. 12 after the, this week. So 12 after, well, including these two. So 12 after that. So they would be five and five, three and three with 12 games remaining. Um, and who knows, they get all those in, probably not. But like, they haven't played NC State yet, uh, which they've got to play. They only play NC State once. Um, they have got to play North Carolina twice. They have to play Virginia. Um, they have to play Louisville another time. Um, I mean, and they got to play Miami. They, they have to play Clemson. Their schedule actually is pretty easy because the fact they only have to play Clemson once, Virginia once, NC State once is probably for the better. Uh, but but here's the thing, man. Like they a, gotta win those. Yes, they have to, and that's yeah. You know what I mean? This isn't like a an eight and one team where they they can afford those losses. Like no, because their best know. win is Notre Dame on the road. Oh God! They've beaten Coppin State, Bellarmine, Notre Dame, Boston College, and Wake Forest. Boston yeah. College and Wake and Notre Dame are the three bottom teams in the ACC. They yeah. lost to Virginia Tech. They lost to Illinois. And they lost to Michigan State. Now, are those bad losses? No. All of those are top 25 teams. But that's why I'm saying where rubber meets the road. I mean, it's okay. Now, these are the games you figure out what type of team this is. Yep. No yeah. doubt. Yeah, we're going to see. Um, let's shift to Kentucky, man. And honestly, like the basketball side of it, uh, I don't know if they're going to figure out this this year. But I did want to talk about Coach Cal. Hey, man, listen, like in a, in a funny in in a funny way, like remember when we asked the question last episode, is uh, Calipari the head coach of Kentucky come April 1st? And we both said, of course he is. Well, he decides to take a knee. I believe they're at Florida State or Miami. I can't remember. Um, the whole team takes a knee during the national anthem. Coach Cal takes a knee. Um, I, I, you know, I, I, if you listen to me or pay attention, um, I'm very on board with that. I think that's like a very peaceful way to protest what's going on in our country. So I, I don't care at all. Go for it. Um, the backlash from the people in Kentucky and not just people, not like random fans. No, no, these are like people in position of power. It was like a sheriff that came out and said that Kentucky should be defunded. The university should be defunded. And that every, I mean, it's, you know, not surprising because it's Kentucky and they're a disaster of a state, but my God, I mean, this, what are we talking about, man? If you like, just we're still look at the news headlines. It's, it's unbelievable. Um, and kind of what, like, and what's actually going on and and like he can't and it's basically saying even he was leaving morning mass recently um and people and even then like basically people people are still attacking him for what he's doing or what and i don't know he he, he says not calvary said if i listen to what's coming out of the stands i'll be up there shortly you just coach your team um but the fact that and not to bring it back to like Virginia, I love what, what Tony's done. Basically half these guys have stood, half these guys have taken a knee. He's empowered them. Do what you want to do and what you feel is respectful. And we're going to be united together. The guys that aren't kneeling are supporting the guys that are, and the guys that are, are kneeling are supporting the guys that say that they're standing. The fact that, and mostly because of the school he coaches at and the location and the, the demographics, 
the fact that that's actually something that puts him on the hot seat is, is incredible. Um, I can't believe that that's actually a real thing, but um, it, it really, I mean, you ask any of his players, I mean, they, I'm sure they love him even, even more because they're supporting, he's supporting them and doing what, what, what they want to want to do, empowering them. Yep. Yep. No doubt. Um, well, listen, I mean, I know we didn't talk too much about their basketball. They're obviously coming off two straight losses now. I think they have Georgia next. Yeah. You know, I, I don't think they're going to turn it around this year. Um, I will say the last time they went to the final four was 2015. Um, that's a, it's a gap. that's way too long for Kentucky. And, and well, here's the thing, dude. I hate that because I'm so sick of it. You have no people, you know how hard it is to get the final four. So oh I want to put that out there, but I also want to say that if you're Kentucky, I, this is hard, man. Like, cause the expectations are, are not realistic, but look, man, like Duke's the same way. UNC's the same way. Kansas is the same way. Like, you got to be going once every, what, three, four years? I, I don't know what's what fair to Duke's say. last one, the same? It was 2015? Uh, yeah, because Zion's, they lost in the Elite Eight. 2015, yep. they won. Well, 2015, Duke won. Maybe I don't won. remember their yep. last final four. So, that was 2015. Um, um, UNC. It might be 2015. It might be 2015. Yeah. UNC went. Well, they won. UNC they won, won one. They lost in 2017. No, they Lost in 2016, won in 2017. Yeah, um, so Kansas, though, has been um, 20, yeah, I mean, the last time. 2018. They weren't in it with Virginia, uh, but they were, I believe, in it in 2018. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think even if you just take away from looking at the actual dates when they go on, it, it just seems like there's a big difference in the teams of the, okay, Michael K. Gilchrist, Anthony Davis, those loaded teams that are, rolling over everybody and then the Devin Bookers and the Carl Anthony Towns and the um, twins and the Harrison twins and, and everything to what they have now where they're still getting guys that are high in the rankings, but whether they're, 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 it's not translating onto the court at least as quickly and effectively as some of those other guys were like, they're yep. still, it's still kind of the, the method and they're still getting drafted like Tyrese Maxey. And, and so he's had like still lottery pick. He's doing well and, and still the model and, and you recycle guys and you come through, but it's not like it, it was rolling, rolling and from probably you say what, 2010 through 2015, you know? Yeah, no doubt. It's going to be interesting. I hope the NBA, we haven't really heard much from them in terms of the one and done rule, but they did say in 2021, they were going to remove it. And so I actually think that helps college basketball. Let, kids who want to go to the league out of high school go and then that should help all like kind of that trickle down recruiting right like all right well if the top 10 kids are going to the league that leaves 11 through everybody else and now they're going to the dukes and the kentuckys and and by default you would think logically that those kids won't be ready after a year so they'll stay for two or three which will help college basketball that it's just a it should be a win for everybody but i want to talk about um before we get to UVA's dismantling of Clemson, let's stay in the SEC. Um, there, it's interesting, man. I do think, like, quicker than normal, obviously, because this year is a disaster, the conferences are starting to take shape much quicker. Like, Alabama's 6-0 and in the SEC. They're 11-3 and overall. Um, you know, Nate Oates made headlines weeks ago with the Coach K stuff, but they're, they're hooping right now. Yep. You know, they're 21st in the country in offensive efficiency. They're 16th in defensive efficiency. And what do we always talk about? In order to win a championship, you got to be in the top 15, 20 of both categories, and they're in it. So they're hooping. Um, they're, they certainly seem like the class of the SEC right now, and then kind of everybody else. Yeah, it's interesting to me that if you look at kind of the top tier, now obviously they just rolled Arkansas, which makes me happy because I'm not a huge Eric Mossman guy, but the, the top these top teams being like Alabama, Arkansas, um, you, the LSU obviously in there, Missouri, a lot of these are some of the, the newer coaches within the conference. Now there's been a ton of turnover within the SEC. Um, I think if you look at maybe – the only guys that have been there a little while, actually, Cal, you could say Frank Martin at South Carolina. Yep. Um, you could say, I mean, Vanderbilt, like, they're all new. Everyone else, I guess, is relatively uh, new. Relatively new. State and Bruce Pearl. But, I mean, what is this? His second year, his second full year, or third year um, at, at, at Alabama, Nate Oates. Um, this is Musselman's second year at Arkansas. Um, Will Wade, obviously, has been, I think, probably year four, year five, maybe. 
Um, yeah. but it is interesting how kind of how it's how it is taking shape. And um, I mean, it, I, I, I've watched Alabama a little bit. I've been impressed with them. Um, I, I do think I love just staying on the SEC. I mean, I said Arkansas has lost like four of their last five. And it's interesting because I think right before when we recorded our last episode, we were talking about the difference in Kentucky and their schedule is that Arkansas was 9-0 yeah. and had played nobodies. And then now they beat Auburn, which was really impressive. Uh, I mean, Auburn's not great. But then they lost to Missouri. They lost to Tennessee. They beat Georgia. They lost to LSU. They lost to Alabama. Uh, yep. Tennessee's the best, in my opinion, Tennessee's the best team in, in, in the conference. Um, but, I mean, they're 30th in offensive efficiency, second defensive efficiency. But I do. I know Alabama beat them. It's a good I, win. But I know. I still think they're I – th- I, I'm more confident in – I'm more in confident Tennessee. in Tennessee, but the dude I love actually in the entire conference, if you watch it all, is LSU is Cam Thomas. Um, yeah. Dude is absolutely electric. I mean, he's he's really – I think I'm pretty sure he played at Oak Hill. Um, I think he was an Oak Hill kid. Um, and him with Trendon Watford, with Javante Smart, who is like a top 20 kid. Um, and I, I love what LSU does, and I think that's a team that can make a run, good guard play. Um, but, I, yeah, I, I think that's a that – it is crazy. I mean, I think – Top tier Alabama, you have to give them credit. Um, yeah, they've, yeah they've done, it's just done a, a really good job. The one thing it's and they're playing at a lightning fast tempo. Um, they have yeah. the 14th um, fastest tempo, the third quickest average offensive possession length. Um, and and then what's crazy to that is actually is their average offensive possession is third, their average defensive possession is 256. So they're sitting down and like making guys guard it's not flying back up like trying quick they're 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 scoring quick and then they're sitting down and guarding for full possessions so yeah all right man let's get your thoughts on UVA um I think obviously the defense you know we know that we know you guys play fantastic defense and that hasn't changed I think what I assume why you're surprised or if you're surprised is that offensively you guys are scoring I believe it's the highest average that Bennett's ever had and it's only like yeah. 75 or it's in the 70s. Yeah. Um, you know, I think one of the biggest difference too is like you guys are actually shooting and making a ton of threes. No, no doubt. I think often, I mean, I, I think defensively, it's definitely gotten better essentially, especially since Gonzaga. Um, I mean, they got absolutely blitzed by Gonzaga and they looked really poor defensively, but, and it's kind of, I think part of it's a product of, of, of being a weird season and not being able to develop as much. So they do have a lot of new guys, they, but just they don't have the guys to have – I don't think they – I mean, they have a – I think they have a great defense. I don't think they have the ability to be an elite defense. And that's because Jay Huff, as much as he brings blocking shots and being a presence, he has cinder blocks for feet. And if you're – their teams are putting him in ball screens – and when Sam Hauser is the four man and you're rotating and he's not as, as, uh, as agile, it's a lot tougher and, and closing out. They're not as, as quick to close out guys. Tony's tweaked a lot of different things with, um, and kind of with that and then be able to play help side. But um, what is on the, on the offensive end, what's been so great is, and this is even more so than the national championship team, is they have like six, I'm say maybe even seven guys that can go double figures on any night. And they haven't really, and they can shoot at, at any position. Um, Kihei Clark has been really good. Hauser, he's been obviously, fantastic, man. he's been awesome. And he and he really struggled before that Gonzaga game. I mean, he hadn't. I think he didn't start against like Kent State and William Mary, which is crazy. The fact, I mean, started the national championship game as a freshman. But um, and then after that Gonzaga game, he really is. He's kind of taking a leadership role. Um, Hauser, and I still don't think he's even scratched. Like we're not seeing the best of Sam Hauser. He's averaging like 16 and 10. He's at like yeah, he's a he's double double well. machine. Hoff is playing better. Um, and then the biggest thing, and then the biggest thing, you look at um, the, the transfer they have from Rice and Trey Murphy. He yeah. wasn't expected to play this year. I think he's shooting like close to like 50% from three. He's automatic. Um, I mean, he's leading the team. I think he's leading the ACC. And he's like a 6'9", like power forward type swing man. Um, Huff can shoot it from deep. Um, and then Morcel came back. Morcel had been out with COVID and had been uh, and came back with a lot of confidence. And they've got some bench pieces too. So like, it's one of those things where they're not. It's not tied like when the national championship team. It was Ty. It was Kyle. It was DeAndre. You're not expecting Jack Salt to score. You're not expecting. Mm-hmm. I mean, Diakite. So 
where you lose defensively in like a Diakite and a, and a Braxton Key and Assault, you're gaining in just offensive variety where I think hopefully I, – I, I still – they definitely are fortunate, though, um, to start out with the schedule that they have in the ACC to be 5-0 and um, and playing Wake, Boston College, Notre Dame a couple of times, going to Clemson. They allowed them a time to figure stuff out uh, because now they're going to get into a lot more – um, a lot more tougher teams. You got Georgia Tech, Syracuse, Virginia Tech, NC State, Louisville. Um, so I think it was definitely they're fortunate to have that schedule, but they're definitely kind of coming into, into yeah. Their but they, yeah, listen, man, they won the games. They're five and zero, first in the ACC right now, and they did what they needed to do. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, the last two teams we'll talk about today: uh, Minnesota and then USC. So Minnesota, and listen, I had this conversation Minnesota. with both. I, I can't figure them out, but I, I is there. Even before we get to Minnesota, is there any – we talked about home court advantage, um, you know, a couple minutes ago. Is there any conference more than the Big Ten that teams do not lose at home? Because, for example, the Gophers are 11-0 at home, 0-4 on the road. And I just feel – it just feels this way that nobody in the Big Ten loses at home. I just feel like even, like, when Michigan State is, like, number two in the country, they're, like – eight and five in the conference and they're yeah. eight and oh at home and oh and five on the road. It just seems more than any conference. The big 10 is just that way. Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, it is, I, I, I would a hundred percent agree with that. I mean, you can look at, you can look at, I mean, Iowa, Iowa is six and one in the conference. Their one loss is at Minnesota. Um, they, I mean, you look at, let's say, um, let's look at Rutgers right away from the rack. Oh, Rucker, the probably bad example because they've been on a pretty bad losing streak. But um, Illinois, they beat at home. Purdue, they beat at home. They lost at Ohio State. They lost at Michigan State. Um, and then the other teams they played were like the top ten is Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Iowa. So, like, that's a bad example. But I do think, yeah, that – Oh, that man, is, but, you're, like, when you look at it, I mean, I'm going to do, do the math after this and tweet it out. But, like, Michigan, Iowa, Wisconsin, 9-0, 9-0, 9-1 home away two and one three and one two and two right yeah, like you can it. go down you can go to ohio state seven and zero at home three and three on the road purdue six and zero at home two and four on the road no, illinois right. six and two at home three and two on the road minnesota we just said minnesota right like it it's insane like they just don't beat each other on the road it is really tough and what'll be interesting is okay so you'd say right now the top two teams are probably Iowa, you'd say it'd be Iowa and Michigan, I guess. Um, yeah, Iowa, Michigan. For now. Um, and so they play, um, they play the only, they've already, they haven't played once. They only play each other once this year. Um, but Iowa plays Michigan, which doesn't seem right. But um, yeah, let's see. Iowa plays Michigan Thursday, March 4th, second to last game of the season at Michigan. Now, is that like. Right. I, I mean, Iowa's projected to win every single game from here on out. Their only losses are to Gonzaga and at Minnesota in overtime. Um, but it will be interesting. The fact that that's at Michigan, I think, is a huge advantage if you're talking about kind of like – I mean, they're both sitting at 6-1 and one in, the, in the Big Ten. And if they both kind of hold course, they only drop one or two, that's a huge thing for Michigan to be able to have that one game um, to, be at, to be at home. Yeah, no doubt. Illinois, uh, all right, last thing. on the Big Ten, Illinois is really, I mean, as I don't know. people have been so high on them, people are so low, they've obviously dropped. My, my concern, and they, they haven't, they've been close games, but they just dropped back-to-back home games. I mean, we were saying this, back-to-back home games to Maryland and to Ohio State. Um, they lost yeah. Rutgers, they've lost Missouri, but they're sitting at five and – they're nine and five and five and three. And I do think, like, people anointed them a Final Four team, like, immediately. or and They do have the look. They have it, but – and I, maybe I just haven't watched them enough. It is kind of surprising to me that they've been that inconsistent because they went, they went, they went win, loss, win, loss, win, loss, won four in a row, and then lost, loss. I, so I, I can't get a real feel for them. Um, but what did we say last week? We said this last week, like, and even a couple of weeks ago, because yeah. I was super high on them after they m- murdered Duke. Um, it was like, is this what happens, right? Like a Big Ten team comes out of the gates and then they get into conference play, they beat the hell out of each other, and then we don't know what's going to happen in the tournament. Like, yeah. this is what's happening. Yeah, no, you're right. And and that's exactly I, – I think that's what I think. Iowa is by far set up – and you can, and maybe even Wisconsin you could say as well. I mean, Wisconsin is sitting at 5-2. and two, um, But they – and I think those are the two teams that definitely, I think, can show consistency with throughout the, the, throughout the course of the season. 
but it does not mean that they can't get knocked off at any time by an Illinois or by a Minnesota or an Ohio State. Um, everyone's capable of beating everyone. Um, but it will be really, really interesting to see kind of as, 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 the, as the year kind of goes on. Um, yeah. Wisconsin, yeah. Wisconsin, they end the season against Iowa um, at Iowa. So or maybe that's Iowa. And then so Iowa's schedule, their last two games are at Michigan and then home against Wisconsin. I think those are going to probably will be the three that will be really be in it um, for a yeah. Big Ten title at the end of the year. Yep, no doubt. Um, all right, let's close out with USC. You know, they're quietly having a really good year. They're 11-2, and two, and Evan Mobley has been fantastic. And we – I – dude, I, I mean, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound super old here, but, like, the reason I don't watch West Coast basketball is because I fall asleep in the middle of the first half, like, every damn time because these games are late. And so I haven't really been able to see – I think I've watched, like, a half of USC, and then I've just been checking box scores and reading. But they're, uh, they're good. The Mosley, yeah, yeah. The Mobleys are are, are legit. Um, I, I mean, they. He said no one, and, and maybe it's a pandemic too. I mean, there's. I feel like no one's really talking about the Pac-12. Um, maybe I mean, there's. You look at it. They are. What are they in Kempom? USC's 19th in Kempom. UCLA's 25th, which is awesome. Yeah. At least to have that. Um, but I've got an interesting one for you because if you don't, I, I was completely caught off guard. Um, and actually, well, one, Colorado's up there as well. Arizona's good. Um, do you have any idea what Washington, what, what their record is, the Washington Huskies? No. If you just threw a shot in the dark, what would you guess? Oh, man. I don't even know how many games they played. F uh, four and six. No clue. Are, the Washington Huskies are 1-11 and 0-7 and in the Pac-12. Oh. Like, historically, they've all – even when they haven't been good, they've had talent. They've had Markel Fultz. They've had Isaiah Stewart. They've had guys – and I look, like, who are they playing? Like, obviously, they've only – they played 12 games, and seven of them are conference games. They're non-conference. They lost to Baylor. They lost to UC Riverside, 57 oh my. That's what I just saw, UC Riverside. They scored 42 points against them? They beat – their only win is against Seattle at home. And then they also lost non-conference to um, Montana. And then they lost to Colorado in a for, for some reason. It's just, that did not count towards their, their uh, Big Ten – or, excuse me, their Pac-12 schedule, which I don't, don't necessarily understand. But they are 1-11, 0-7. They are projected to only beat – right now projected to beat Washington State and, and Cal, um, each at home. So as of right now, they are projected to go three and twenty-one, uh, which would be quite unbelievable for a really any any Power Five team to finish a season with three wins. Um, but especially a program that everyone thought was on the rise with Mike Hopkins. I mean, what did they? They had a good year last year, did they not? They finished. Uh, no, no, they finished, no finished fifteen and seventeen last year. I remember they started the season beating Baylor, and then they fell off. Um, the year before though, they went 27 and nine. They're two years removed from a 27 and nine season. Um, and yeah, I need to, I need to, I'm going to, that's that we're going to open next uh, podcast with Washington and what happened. We really need to dig into like transfers or, you know, whatever it is. We got to dig into that. Cause that's kind of insane. Quad a green just stump somehow sticking it out from it by himself there. I mean, they've got a couple that, and this thing you look at their actually, I, I didn't realize this, all their lineup, Quade Green, senior, Eric Stevenson, junior, Hamir Wright, senior, Jamal Bay, junior, Nate Roberts, sophomore. So it's not like they're young and fresh and inexperienced. It's like, what's happening? And, and I don't think anything anyone's even talking about it. I was shocked when I saw this. And not to take the Pac-12 time to pile on Washington, but it is something that is alarming. Absolutely alarming. Yeah, yeah. no doubt. Um, well, listen, man, that's it for us this time. We got a ton of games this week. Kansas, Baylor, Purdue, Ohio State, Alabama, LSU, Seton Hall, Villanova, USC, Stanford, Michigan, Florida State, Purdue. Louisville tonight. Yeah, Kansas, Kansas, Baylor. Yeah, I mean, there's – Yeah, we got, a, we got a lot of good games this week. So, um, Alabama, listen, we'll LSU, Tennessee, Florida, Purdue, Ohio State, Duke, Pitt. Like, this is – Yeah, we got uh, a lot. This will be fun. No, yeah. this will be really fun. Now uh, – and I, I, I would say the other thing with it, I mean, there are um, – just so we can get a, a quick 15, 30-second Mac moment in here, um, John Gross, somehow, I, I don't know, the Toledo uh, uh, Walt, Walt Offits were three-and-a-half-point favorites on the road at Akron, which I couldn't believe. 
Um, but Akron was coming off losses at Eastern Michigan, at Northern Illinois, which are bottom-tier teams. Somehow, Jarzy turns them around. They win 95-94 to 94 at home over Toledo. Um, hmm. And they get – and honestly, I, and we haven't done it in a while. I don't know if we want to crown them with that or not. But if we were doing a green light player of the week, Lauren Christian Jackson, the little – they've got – he's a 5'8", 150-pound point guard for Akron. And yep. finished with 34 points. He was 5 of 16 from three. So he was oh. jacking. He was jacking. Nine of nine from the free throw line. Seven assists, six turnovers. But – um, 34 points and got Akron the win and kept them kept them at least alive because uh, they would have fallen to two and three in the conference and four and four overall. But um, yeah, uh, that would be my five of sixteen from three. That five of sixteen from three would still end up with 34 points. Unreal. Um, next episode. Next episode. Ian's gonna wear his hair in a pony because the the flow is getting luxurious back there, bro. Yeah, we're. Uh, I'm just trying to. I'm not the the kid from Texas Tech. I can't even think of his name. I'm just trying to uh, to match match the match those vibes. What is his name? It ain't McClung. Um, no, not not McClung. But he had he did a a, a huge game a winner against Texas. Crazy game winner. Um, I know, man. Every time I see him do well, I'm just like, why couldn't you do that at Georgetown? Well, he kind of was. They, they're, I mean, they're. Yeah, McClung transfer, Marco Santos Silva, the kid from VCU. Um, they're good. I believe yep. it's. Uh, is it Kevin McCuller? I think it's Kevin McCuller. Um, wait, but um, either way, I, and I like Texas. That, that's an interesting one too. And they're they're up and down. I think who do they have? They have any big ones this week? They've got they got TCU, Iowa State, and then um, and then West Virginia. West Virginia's one. No, I mean the Big Twelve. I and we oh, talk about all these Big Twelve. Yeah, they've got some really good teams, but they are all Baylor, Texas, West Virginia. Once again, back and forth. Win, loss, win, loss, win, loss. Um, yeah, they're, they're 18th offensively, 23rd defensively. It, it, I do think it could be shaped up to be a really, really fun tournament and a lot of unknowns, but um, okay. I, I will still put – I will put any amount of money right now on Zaga running. Yeah, yeah, me too. Still Gonzaga and everybody else. So. Yeah, agreed. All right, well, we will be back uh, probably at the same time – Maybe next Monday or Sunday, we'll see. But uh, until then, keep the ball bouncing. Lately, I've been feeling like this is what I've been working towards. If you ain't trying to be the boss, then tell me what you're working for. Certain doors are closed, but now they opening up. Celebrating with some shots, maybe poke on a cup. Pull, slush, Russell's up next, and I got this. Crazy like Britney and the love so toxic. Got a wall up, I'm trying to infiltrate a conscious. Taking 12 shots like where the cops is. Come on.